All right, we're going to enter into this period of hearing from seven different individuals, the last phrases, the last statements, the last words of Jesus. You know, just about everybody who is famous died with some last words between their teeth, had something to say. We don't remember any of them. But here we are, 2,000 years after Jesus hung on that cross, and these seven last words are being repeated all over the world in Bible-believing churches. And so we'll hear tonight the things that Jesus said when he was on the cross. And pay attention to the focus of his words. And so uh, we'll start uh, with uh, opening our hymns to hymn number 63, the old rugged cross. We'll sing verses one and two, and then Sherry will come up and Jean will come up separately and they'll give their, share their words. Good evening. Uh, tonight when I came into the church, uh, it was empty, I turned the lights on, and I had a wonderful memory of many Good Friday services here at Amwell from when I was a child until last year. And one of the things that um, came to my mind was seeing some of our mature women, mature in their faith and mature in their years, as the tears would run down their face tonight. And as I was younger, younger in my faith, I thought, hmm, it's a very sentimental night, very dark night, you know, Christ rises on Sunday, um, they'll be happy then. And uh, what I didn't realize is they were happy on Good Friday. It was such a joy, such a thankfulness for uh, the gift that we receive. So this evening, Luke 23, 34, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know what, not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. So Christ knew from the moment he was sent to earth to be born of a virgin, what his task was. 33 years, he accomplished his task. He knew as he rode in on the cult, he knew as he stood before the kangaroo court that he was without sin, without blame, yet he was to be crucified. Uh, he lived the same physical life that we lived. He felt the same sorrows, the same hurts, the same pains. And yet, he continued. He allowed them to put him on the cross. And as he asked of his father to forgive them, for they know not what they do, that was not only those that in the kangaroo court that um, convicted him, that said he was to be crucified. It was not only those that hung beside him, but it was us. And he would not need to be crucified. He would not have needed to go to the cross if it was not for my sin, for your sin, for the sins of the world. So what a, what a wonderful example 
as he's physically tortured, hurt, and you'll hear about so much more through the next six words um, that he even could murmur, that he even could ask that we all be forgiven for we know not what we do. Pastor Bob, as I sometimes refer to him, asked me to uh, read the last words in Luke 23, 43. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. I'll look back at this chapter a little bit more to get some sense of what uh, is being spoken about here. And I'm thinking one of the first things that occurred to me is the worst day in somebody's life. If I was to ask you, what is the worst day in your life? I don't know if you'd be able to come up with an answer. I listen to a lot of news. I look at a lot of news. Sometimes I shouldn't do it. But I do, and we hear awful things. They had a correspondent on a couple of weeks ago who was in Ukraine and was bombed. He and his other journalists, some were killed. He made it, but the man's life was really changed forever. Then we heard about that awful shooting last week. What, was the, what would be the worst day in your life? I don't know if you could answer. Not, some of us haven't had such horrendous experiences, but this verse talks about what I think might be the worst day in Jesus' life, what he faced on Good Friday for us. And um, we'll never know. We'll just never know. We can't, I, I've heard people give a medical and biological description of the crucifixion, but we can only imagine. We'll never know the half of it. And yet, that's what he did, and it started at 6 o'clock, I think. And, you know, sometimes people would wish if they were going to face death, it would go quickly. He was going to suffer for a while. Uh, I looked at verse 33 where it says, And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the malefactors, one on the right hand and, on, and the other on the left. Don't words come off your lips quickly when you're saying them? When you're reading them, you read and you go on to the next sentence and paragraph. But that crucifixion that he was facing, there was an awful lot to that. And then who's with him? In that very same verse, two men, right there in the middle of that, two malefactors, malefactors, who uh, we refer to them as thieves. I really think they're a picture of you and me. And there they are in the middle of 
the most difficult day Jesus could have experienced physically, mentally, spiritually. And he's taking care of them. And one of the thieves wanted to know if he could come with him. If he could come with him and have his sins forgiven because he recognized Jesus as God. What a wonderful knowledge to come to in your life. Because we go through a lot of things. We really do. We're privileged. We live in America. But it doesn't mean that you don't have troubles. And Jesus, I mean, the process had already begun. And now, though, he's ministering to these two thieves and through them to us to say that it's going to be okay. You're going to be with me today in paradise. I said to Pastor Bob, where is paradise? Do you know where paradise is? Yeah, I'll, I, think it, I think it's not heaven yet. Paradise is not heaven yet. But that must have been some day for that one thief who went with him. I don't think we're going to experience paradise. So I was thinking about him for a while. And um, what, a, what, a, what a journey he had that day when he also gave up his ghost and died. And the last thing I want to say about this verse as I read it, you know, there's things you don't think about when you're young. Just don't think about them. But as you get older, you start to think about things. And the fact that we have a promise from God that we're going to be with him means an awful lot. It means an awful lot. Whether I know that um, people fear a lot of things, and some people try to uh, prioritize the number one fear and the number two fear. When people contemplate their own death or that of other people that they love, their death, very difficult, very fearful thing. We have people in this congregation right now grieving for some recent deaths that were very meaningful to them. But to know where we're going and who we're going to be with and who we're going to see there, it's a great thing. It's, a, it's, it's such a gift and it's a source of peace and comfort. So such a hard day to think about. But what he accomplished that day, he accomplished his purposes, and he made a way for us. <coughs> Hallelujah, what a savior. Many times when I've meditated on those words today, thou shalt be with me in paradise, that's a promise for you. That if you were to say good night down here tonight, You'd be saying good morning up there. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a guaranteed home, a guaranteed forwarding address, if you will, where you're going to be. And those who love Jesus know that. Okay. Jesus' focus wasn't on him. It was focused on the people around him. And one of them was his mother. And then Jesus had the great question. So we're going to hear about uh, the connection to his mom from Frank Barber and the question that, uh, that uh, Jesus had on the cross from Estelle Saunders. Frank, come on up. Good evening. 
If I look nervous, I am. <laughs> um, Pastor asked me to speak on Woman, Behold Thy Son. And uh, when he did that, I was like, you gotta be kidding. Like, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> so um, I'm like, why's it gotta be so hard? So I, um, anyway, my scripture that I'll be speaking on tonight is, now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleovis, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and his disciples standing by, whom he loved, he said unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then said to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that that, that disciple took unto his own home. And uh, so as I began to read this scripture and study it, my mind immediately went to um, a lot of questions, like why, why did Jesus even say this? Um, you know, he, he had brothers, and why did he choose John? And so all these questions started going through my mind. And the problem with that was is I started to go down a road that really didn't have answers. It was really speculation. And I didn't feel I wanted to stand up here and ask a lot of questions that lead us down a rabbit trail. So the Lord directed me in a different way. And that was um, as I read through the different gospels, because all four gospels um, record the crucifixion. And as I read them, I began to realize uh, something I never realized before, and that is this woman, behold thy son, it didn't really fit. Um, and let me clarify. So as I started to look at the, the sayings of Christ, I realized that I broke them into two categories. One was his deity, and the second was his humanity. And so that made a little sense to me. But then as I continued to look, I said, well, all of the last words Jesus spoke from the cross, um, woman, behold thy son, still didn't fit what was going on around the cross. And so when you think of him speaking from his deity, I thought of forgive them, uh, for they know not what they do. Today with me you'll be in paradise. It is finished, and into thy hands I commit myself. And then I went in and I said, okay, then the humanity part would be, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I thirst, and woman, behold thy son. And all of these words are directly related to the cross and what's happening. But the woman, behold thy son, just didn't fit for me. So I know it's important because Jesus said it, John recorded it, and we read it in the Bible. And because Jesus said it from the cross, obviously it is related. So the question I landed on is how? How is it related? And so um, the salvation of the thief was, um, you know, part of the cross. That's what the cross represents. It, re it represents salvation, forgiveness, and um, and then I went on and I said, um, 
this, this has to go deeper. And so um, I came to understanding that the meaning of the cross was much more than suffering. It was also about love. And when I got there, I felt like now I could go down a road that really presents an answer to the question of why did he say this? And so from there, um, this saying actually started to become, to me, the most important saying of all the sayings. But yet it seemed so insignificant in the midst of everything going on around the cross. So these words that Jesus spoke were out of, um, was out of love and it was, um, it was towards his mother. And so try to understand, like we're sitting in church tonight and we're, we're just, we're comfortable and we have, um, we're in a comfortable place. But at this time, there is so much chaos going on. Things are happening. Um, there's darkness, there's uh, mockery, there's um, suffering, there's mocking, there's people just crying and weeping and all these things going on. And Jesus um, isn't on the cross comfortably, he's just been beaten and tortured beyond recognition. Um, you know, wasn't a slap or a punch, he's, he's been beaten and I'll leave the rest to your imagination. So why this is so important is in the midst of all the suffering, Jesus says, woman, behold thy son, and it is love. It's love in the suffering. And so Jesus, what I realized was, is Jesus was not only saying, words of love, but demonstrating God's love from the cross. And in Romans 5, 8, we read, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the cross represents a horrible death of Jesus Christ, but out of love for you and me, his words, woman, behold your son, are spoken out of the love for his mother and her well-being. If that was my mother, I would have said, look away. I, I wouldn't want my mother to look at me in such a condition. I wouldn't want anybody to look at me that way. And this always amazes me that when we read this, Jesus is conversing with people like, like I'm conversing with you. But yet he's in agony. He's been beaten. He's being mocked. He's stripped. He's, he's bleeding. He's got crowns of thorns. And you could even read what he was going through even before he got to the crucifixion. Um, I mean, just the mockery and people saying he, he saved others, but he can't save himself. And just the, just the, what he went through, but it was love that kept him on the cross. You know, he could have called down 10,000 angels, but he didn't, it was love. And so I wanna now, 
I want to say that in that road, that it actually fits perfectly now. And so in conclusion, I'd like to just share something. And I want it to become personal, not only to me, but to you. And that is um, his death on the cross is the demonstration of what he spoke in the Sermon on the Mount. His words are for us, not him. They are all rooted in love, and that is why woman behold thy son now fits perfectly. If you go back and you read through the Sermon on the Mount, you can draw lines, you can connect these things that he's demonstrating on the cross. The Sermon on the Mount and his whole life was speaking love, but the cross demonstrated it. It was like putting your money where your mouth is. And we would miss that if it wasn't for woman, behold thy son. Because when I go to the crucifixion, that's what it says, crucifixion. And it's all about suffering. There's darkness, there's chaos, hope is gone. What's happening? Even Jesus in his humanity, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He said, I thirst. This isn't like I need a drink of water. It's the kind of thirst that your the tongue sticks to the roof of your mouth. It, it's parched. It's thirst. And we have to realize, like, this didn't just happen over an hour. It was hours of agony. And, and if you know anything about the crucifixion, he had to push up to breathe. And his back, the flesh is showing, bones are showing, because he was whipped. And his back is rubbing against that old rugged cross. I, I don't mean to uh, make anybody feel uncomfortable but it's important that we understand Jesus isn't sitting on the side of the road just talking. And I think, gosh, sometimes I feel sick and I'm like, leave me alone. I don't feel like talking. And here Jesus is loving others, loving others as he himself is dying in probably a way that none of us would ever experience. And so I... I just, um, again, I just let the spirit move in upon you the way it does in me. And so here's what I like to conclude with. No one comes to Christ through judgment and condemnation, but through love and forgiveness. That is what the cross represents. Jesus took our judgment and condemnation so we can receive love and forgiveness. Jesus' earthly life was always moving towards the cross, and it ended there. It is finished. Our salvation begins at the cross. And if you truly love Jesus, you will pick up your cross and follow him. Jesus as your Savior cost him his life. Jesus as your Lord cost you your life. The difference is, he died on the cross for you, and he only asked you to carry your cross in return. And so listen to these scriptures. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross 
and follow me. And Paul wrote in Galatians, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, or I, nevertheless, I live yet not, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by this faith, by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Our cross, Jesus already paid the penalty. He took everything. He's just saying, take your cross and just follow him. He did everything else. And I didn't realize this tonight, but as I was sitting in the pew, it dawned on me, today is my father's birthday. Um, and 16 years ago, I received, um, well, I received Christ as my savior, and I was the first born-again Christian in my entire family, both sides going back to great-grandparents, and that's as far as I can go. And it was not received well. And my father told me when I went in the house and started talking about Jesus, he told me, don't ever come in my house preaching that stuff. And he was mad. And my dad didn't get mad, but he was dead serious. I, he did not like it. But in the 16 years between me being born again and my father passing away, what Jean just spoke on, I was able to have the privilege to lead my father on his deathbed to Christ with that very scripture. And I want to share something else that's very important. Um, both my parents are deceased, but I look back and realize that I am blessed because the last words that I spoke with my mom before she died, we told each other we loved each other. And it's the same with my dad. And with my dad, he was going in the hospital and he was down in South Carolina and he called and I got off the phone with him and I just said, Dad, I love you. He said, I love you too, Frankie. And grabbed the kids, got in the car, and we drove 12 hours. And I was praying and praying and praying, Lord, do not let my father die till I can get down there. Got to the hospital. Uh, he was already sedated, but they assured me he could hear me. I got in the hospital and my brother and sister were going to just go get something to eat. And I said, I can't leave. I said, I, I feel very, um, very, uh, I don't know the right word. I, I just felt I needed to, to share the gospel with my dad. So the nurse came in the room. She was um, tending to my father. And I just said, do you mind if I sit and read scripture to my father? She said, not at all. And I said, I'm a born again Christian and the thought of my father dying and spending eternity in hell is more than I can bear. And she said, share away, honey. So I sat, I turned to Luke and I read all about the thief on the cross and assured my dad that God loved him. And as long as there was breath in his life, he could be saved. And I read that to him and I said, dad, would you want to receive Christ? And he took his head and he went like this, not once, but twice. And he squeezed my hand and I said, did you see that? Did you see that? And she goes, he can hear you. But he couldn't talk, he couldn't move, he just laid there like a vegetable. And 
I um, prayed with them, and that morning, we the next morning, we got a call at 4 o'clock, get back to the hospital, and by the time we got there, he was gone. And so I look back on that, and I realized that God put the nurse in that room because she was a second witness that I truly saw his head move so that I wouldn't be worried all the time. Maybe I imagined it. Maybe I thought it. And so how fitting is it that I followed you and I have that testimony on my dad's birthday? So praise God. Uh, forgive me if I talk too long and uh, just praise God. Good evening. Um, I had to do a little research on this um, because when you hear those words, they aren't really what you're, you don't really know what you're really listening to. On the hardest night of his life, Jesus asked his three closest friends to stay close, to pray with him, and what do you think? They all fell asleep. After they failed Jesus three times, Judas betrayed him, and all 11 followers had abandoned him. One of them, Peter, even denied knowing him at all. Jesus felt utterly alone, except he wasn't. Not until that very last moment on the cross, when even his father had turned away from him, betrayed, abandoned, and denied. And in this heart-wrenching scene, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But these words were something that not everybody realized. These words were from a well-worn prayer on Jesus' lips. It was a psalm memorized from his boyhood, the Psalm of David, Psalm 22. And I'm sure in these agonizing moments, they came quickly to his mind, for he had probably prayed these things and read these things for years. Jesus wasn't just quoting David's words from a thousand years ago. Psalm 22. Read it for yourselves. He was appropriating them. He was taking these words as his own prayer. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance? During Jesus' life here, he had always turned to the Psalms of David, as we all can do. When no words come to your mind, when you want to pray and you can't bring it out, you can easily go to any of the Psalms 
and it can be good and help for you. <clears throat> Jesus would point to something far different. They point to the fact that when Jesus died on that cross, it was for us, for all our sins, without exception. Jesus prayed Psalm 22 unintentionally. He was pointing to the reality beneath the surface. Jesus wasn't dying like any other criminal for his crimes. Jesus was declaring to all that he was being despised, rejected, and cast down for a purpose. Not by the sword of a man or dogs or a lion or wild oxen. You'll find that in Psalm 22, verse 19 to 21. But by God himself. Jesus was enduring the full weight of God's wrath against the sins of our world. God had not forsaken him, but he had been banished from the presence of God's face, for sin can't exist in God's presence. Jesus knew he had to endure the separation from God at this time, and he knew it was because of our sins, not his. Jesus' last words were not a pleasant phrase that came out. They were full of despair, and they really can't be fully understood without knowing this full story and knowing Psalm 22. Remember, Psalm 22 a thousand years ago. Jesus knew his followers would finally understand when they figured out exactly what he had said. They had heard him pray this prayer before. They would finally know what Jesus was saying. Yes, that was a moment of ultimate pain and a loss as only a burden of sin could cause. Jesus still had trust in God, the God of our universe. He had submitted to God's will at the very last moment. There's a terrible beauty in Jesus that shows us that God loves us. He shows us by his son, Jesus, taking our place on the cross and dying in our stead. May be seated. Three more speakers. And let me ask you while you're sitting there, so comfy cozy, imagine if you had to stand up here. How would you feel tonight? How do you think you'd do? So it's really a wonderful thing these folks are doing. Many of them have never gotten up here and spoken before. So uh, I, can, I, I pray that you're appreciating what they have to say. And now I thirst comes from Joe, and then it is finished comes from Rhonda. Jesus said, I thirst, and I'm going to read John 19, 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, Jesus 
saith, I thirst. Jesus, after suffering humiliation and crucifixion and tormenting by the uh, Roman soldiers, spoke the words, my God, my God, how hast I, oh my goodness. <laughs> Why hast thou forsaken me? Okay. And uh, he, Jesus was nailed to the cross. He was held up by his wrists and his feet. And spending many hours under the burning sun, um, trying to hold himself up because the, the crucifixion was very um, excruciating whereby you had to hold yourself up as long as you could to keep breathing because as your body fell down, your arms pulled on muscles across your, um, your lungs and it slowly um, killed you, suffocated yourself um, when you started to fall. And uh, he spent hours under the, the burning sun in excruciating pain. And it's at this point of physical exhaustion, it was now that Jesus was ready to return to his Father God. Jesus said, I thirst. Now, um, there's two, there's some uh, controversy over what that statement means. There are those that believe that this was the human side of, of Jesus, the man, and it was just like I said, at, at the at physical uh, point of physical exhaustion and, and excruciating pain, and he know he knows he's about to die, but his human his human side um, is so uh, dry and and parched that he he just says, "I thirst," and this is um, the human part of of uh, Jesus speaking out. Much of the uh, other statements, or the words that he said up to this point were always um, about other people, his mother, um, disciples, and whatnot. But this, this particular um, statement, I thirst, was, was more um, personal uh, from a man uh, speaking out that he, he is parched and, and physically exhausted and he needs a drink. And, but there are, there are others that, that say that I thirst has more to do with scripture and, and God that you need. He, he uh, needed God at that point to, to refresh him um, like a glass of cold water to someone who, who is, you know, in the desert. He just needed that thirst to uh, rejuvenate him. But uh, either way, um, the statement that I thirst is 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 probably is, is what I say is probably his human side um, coming out, and then he's ready to give up his uh, spirit to God, and he knows this, and he just the spirit's leaving him, and his human his human part is taken over his body as the spirit leaves him, and that's it. Good evening. I have John 19.30, and it says, When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. 
So by saying it is finished, Jesus was signaling to the Jewish world that there was no more need for sacrifices of temples because his work brought ultimate fulfillment to what their sacrificial system foreshadowed. And um, so it is true that it says it is finished, and by that he was finished. He, uh, he died on the cross for our sins, and um, but it was only really just beginning. He might have died, but it was from there on that the disciples and even us today are to go out and talk to the world and spread the word of Jesus and bring people to salvation who don't know God. And so it's true, you know, you, a lot of times you'll be doing a job. I think of a computer programmer who might be putting together a program for uh, something to work, but it's not, he, he might be finished and it's like it's finished, but it's not really finished until he puts it out there and tries to see if it does what they want it to do and they gotta get all the kinks and everything out of it. But so it's sort of like with Jesus, he was finished as far as taking on all of our sin. He died for us and everything, but he, it was now up to his disciples who he'd been leading all along to go out there and follow his example of spreading the word, which he was also doing at the same time before he was on the cross. But he, he wants to bring everybody to salvation. So um, just... Um, a lot of times we might be finished, but we have to continue on to spread the word of God. Thank you, Thank you Share with us. Good evening. Really glad to be here with you tonight, remembering what Jesus did for me and for you and the whole world 2,000 years ago. Our hearts are kind of heavy this evening, as some have already described. It's kind of always been a somber service for me, but, you know, at the same time, it's hard to contain my joy and feeling of celebration because Sunday is coming. And we know that Jesus is alive right now and making intercession for us this very minute. I was asked to speak about Jesus's words in Luke 23, 46, which read, And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. The Bible tells us in Genesis 2-7, we were created in three parts, body, soul, and spirit. It says, quote, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, our body, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, the spirit, and man became a living soul. And the Bible confirms this truth in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, which says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. As I meditated on Jesus' final words in Luke 23.46, I was reminded of just how much Jesus gave up at the cross. His final words focus on his spirit, but at the cross, he poured himself out completely across his body, soul, and spirit. When Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, quote, O oh my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. 
Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. The cup he referred to encompassed more than just the bodily harm leading up to his death. He was about to be torn in three. Jesus' body was the first part of his cup. He was beaten, spat upon, scourged, and tortured. He was forced to carry his own cross naked, and then he was nailed to that cross. All this led to the moment of physical death here in Luke 23. And remember what Jesus said in John 10, verses 17 to 18. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Despite the unfairness, pain, and cruelty, no one forced the cross on our Savior. He gave up his life willingly. Jesus' soul was the second part of his cup. Upon his bodily death, his soul went to hell. Acts 2.27 says, Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. Imagine that. The holy, perfect, sinless Son of God, allowing his soul to descend into hell as part of his payment to redeem us sinners back to himself. After enduring physical pain for us, his soul endured the fires of hell, if only temporarily. During this pain in his soul, he ministered to others. Isn't that just like Jesus? 1 Peter 3.19 says, Jesus preached in hell, quote, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Our team that street preaches on Saturdays never faced that kind of a distraction. Then Jesus opened the gates of hell. He left hell. He locked the gates of hell behind him, demonstrating his power over hell. Revelation 1.18 says, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Matthew 16.18 says, And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus preached a second time while in the belly of the earth, this time to the Old Testament saints in paradise, which was located within eyesight of hell. 1 Peter 4.6 says, For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Jesus' spirit was the third and final part of his cup. Ecclesiastes 12.7 says, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. To be obedient to God and to fulfill the mandates of Scripture, Jesus, quote, commends his Spirit onto his Father's hands in his final act before death. His cup was to experience bodily death in an earthly grave, to experience the soul-jarring journey into hell, and to obediently release his Spirit to his Father, he demonstrated almighty power over these three things, body, soul, and spirit, that humanity seems to understand so little about and often seems to fear so much. What a savior. Because of Jesus and the cup he bore at Calvary, we don't follow the science, what's politically correct or incorrect, what's socially acceptable, what's popular, or what the majority is doing. We follow our savior, Jesus, who only has truth and answers and doesn't need to ask questions. We follow Jesus, who bought us back from sin. We follow Jesus, who is coming again soon. 
In closing and with renewed passion, I agree with the great hymn which says, I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Lord, now indeed I find that power in thine alone can change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. For nothing good have I whereby thy grace to claim. I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. And when before the throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sim had left the crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Thank you, Jesus. Found a very thought-provoking and very lovely poem that I thought would be good to cap off these wonderful words. I want to thank each of the seven speakers. It's not easy to get up in front of the crowd and say what you want to say. It becomes difficult, you get tongue-tied, and your brain just doesn't want to go where it's supposed to go, and you wind up sitting down and say, I wish I would have said that different. I wish I would have said this instead of that. You all did a wonderful job because it came from the heart. Amen? And our responsibility as a church is to give folks an opportunity to express what Jesus means to them in a public setting. And the more you do it, the more comfortable you'll be, and that's what we'd like. This is an anonymous person. The, per, the person who wrote this didn't gave, give his name, so it's anonymous. On the Mount of Crucifixion, fountains opened deep and wide. Through, through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and glorious tide. Grace and love like mighty rivers flowed incessant from above. Heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world with love. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. Let's. I think that song kind of sums it all up. Yeah. Hallelujah, what a savior we have. You know, we're very fortunate because we know the outcome of all of this. You know, back in that day, people didn't know what Christ was really doing. Those people in the crowd was me, anybody, except maybe the disciples and those who were close to Jesus that knew what his real mission was. We have that luxury of knowing what the scripture, where it goes, and we know its future. It's all about the future, and God is taking us, you. He's taking all of us with him. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we give you thanks. Father, our words can't express, Father, how grateful we are. Father, to come to the meaning of knowing what you did for us, Father, is a gift more than we can probably comprehend. We just thank you for that gift. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the pain, the suffering. But Father, we know it is not about pain and suffering, although you took the bullet for us. But Father, it's all about life. And we're just grateful, Lord, that we have you as our God, the God from the, uh, God from the beginning and the God who will be here in the end. And we just praise you and thank you in that name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Just a reminder before you leave, 6.15, Sunday morning, if you're able to make that, uh, after, right after that, there'll be cake and coffee. After that, around 8 o'clock, I think, there'll be breakfast, which is going to be a spectacular breakfast, and then the 9 o'clock service. You can come at 6.15. You can come 7.15. Right. You can come at 6.15, or you can come later for breakfast, 
or you can come at nine, or you can come for the whole thing.